All right, welcome everyone to another episode of the Jake Dunlap Show. We are very excited that you joined us. If you haven't tuned in, this is the show where we talk to celebrities, thought, and industry leaders to really discover their journey to success. I am super excited that you're joining us. This show is like no other, I can promise you that. You might laugh, you might cry, but you will definitely leave inspired and gain a whole new level of insight into those people that you follow, love, and admire. All right, what is going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of The Jake Dunlap Show. This is my first episode recording back after being on vacation in the Bahamas, which was pretty amazing. If you can't tell from my beet red beet red uh, skin here, this is my version of tan. Um, today's episode, I'm, I'm excited. This week, this week, I'm going to start a little bit different, all right? For everybody listening, what I want you to do is this, and please not if you're driving, okay? I want you to close your eyes. And imagine your childhood self playing in your front yards or with your friends down the street. You probably remember riding down the road in your nice new red radio flyer. And I have with me today the the man um, from the lineage who is really revolutionizing uh, this business as the chief wagon officer, which is also a fantastic title. his grandfather was the founder of this iconic brand. And when he's not on his wagon or on his new electric bike, which we'll talk about, he can be seen running in marathons, playing with his kids, or he's also won an Emmy for his animated short film, Taking Flight. So we're going to go back in time today. And as he transports us through some of the best parts of his childhood, I want you all to please join me in welcoming this week's guest, Robert Passant. Robert, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Jake. It's great to be with you. All right. So as we, you know, we do in every episode, so let's, ta- let's go back in time. So let's talk about, you know, you're born and raised Chicago. Um, you know, we're talking like, you know, 70s here, uh, around like that time, you know, 70s going into the 80s. So what are some, I mean, and obviously you got your grandfather who founded this brand in 1917. And, you know, so tell me like, what was it like growing up around that? And, you know, what are some of like the memories you have of him or your dad? And, you know, as you, as like, you're already kind of born into this like you know pretty iconic brand like what are some big things that you remember from like early childhood pre pre high school yeah well one of my earliest memories and actually my earliest memory of coming to radio flyer was when i was five years old and uh, my dad brought me to work with him and you know th- this week we have bring your kid to work day on thursday and we have all these amazing activities planned and everything we didn't have anything like that then this is 1974 um so my dad brought me to work with him and I remember that day like it was yesterday because I was, my dad was tall and I was holding his big hand and we came, walked into the building and walked up the stairs and walked around the factory together. And I heard the sounds of these, you know, loud punch presses stamping out wagons and it smelled like a factory, you know, it smelled like paint and grease. And, and then there was this conveyor that was the paint line where I saw all of these shiny red wagons, you know, lined up on this conveyor and, everything, it just seemed like this magical Rube Goldberg machine to me. Like right. it, it, Everything was moving and it was loud and it was exciting. And, and I, that's really the moment I started to fall in love with Radio Flyer because I thought just it was so cool that we were making things. And, um, and of course, everybody was super nice to me and friendly to me because I was walking around <laughs> with the boss. You know? So I thought that was just normal, you know, normal behavior. Um, and, uh, and that was one of my earliest memories of, of Radio Flyer. That's yeah, that's that's wild. It's like it's almost like like you were just like in Santa's workshop or something at the time. Yeah, I like kind of like, like looking around, Willy, like Willy Wonka. Willy you know? Wonka. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's I, I get that. And then what kind of student were you growing up? You know, if you remember, I mean, obviously you ended up going to Notre Dame, um, uh -huh. but you know, what, what were what were those kind of like, you know, high school years like? What are some th were memories or kind of big things that stand out from from that time frame? And and is it like very early on again, like you talked about? you know, knowing like, hey, this is really cool. Like, you know, did you know really early on because your grandfather, your dad, like you were going to go into the family business? Like, was that like a known thing as you're like, you know, going through high school? Not necessarily. My dad was very low key about it. He, he very much had the approach of, you know, come into the business if you think it's for you, but there's no pressure to come into the business. And I think that was a reaction to his dad, you know, who was the founder of the company, this Italian immigrant, and my dad was his only son. And so from day one, it's like, you're taking over this business, you know, this is, and it was always, you know, my business that you're going to take over. And so my grandpa kind of forced it on my dad. So I think as a result, right. he, he didn't want that for us. He really wanted us to choose our own way, which I think was a wonderful gift because it really allowed me to, to figure out if I wanted to try it for myself. Um, and I worked here summers, you know, in, in high school and college. So pretty early on, I knew that I wanted to at least you know, take a shot at it. I didn't know if I'd be good at it. I didn't know if I'd really love it, but I was really passionate about the company and the brand. And, you know, I wanted to, to you know, make it into something, you know, much greater than it was. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's got, yeah, it's got to be interesting. Again, like there's kind of this, like in the back of your mind, these things happening, you know, where you're yeah. like, oh, like, is this, is this what I want to do? And so you go, I mean, and then, and then obviously, so then you get the most logical degree at Notre Dame, you get a BA in history, which obviously <laughs> is going to, is going to set you up to, you know, run a, a you know, a, a toy and a manufacturing company. So, so tell me about that, you know, tell me what it was like going to Notre Dame. And obviously like, you know, you served on student body government, um, you know, you were involved in a lot of other programs, uh, majored in history. Um, and then obviously you went into the business, you know, pretty much, you know, after that, you went back and got your MBA at Kellogg. Um, but, you know, what was, what was like, what was, you know, what was college like? What are some things you remember? And, and then like, was there a point where you're like, hey, I, I am going to go into the business as opposed to go and, I don't know, pursue like a history professor. I don't even know what you do with a history degree <laughs> other than like, yeah, like you have to like go into teaching. I don't know. Yeah, those are some things you do with it. I think the reason I studied history really is because I've always just loved history. And again, my parents were really supportive. They said, you know, study what you love. You can, you can always go to grad school, you know, if, if, and, and I feel like to understand where we are today and where we're going, we really have to understand our history. And I think right. that goes for, you know, our, us as a society, but as a company, you know, I was really into the history of the company. And so the heritage and trying to understand the DNA of what Radio Flyer is. Um, but I had a wonderful college experience. I loved Notre Dame and I got involved with student government early on there. And I learned so much from that because when I first ran for, for class president with three other uh, students at the end of freshman year, um, there were like 12 tickets running, you know, and there was no differentiation really. And I quickly right. realized the only way that, you know, we were all promising the same thing, which was like more parties, you know, and so, like right. that. so, um, so I, I, I quickly realized the way that we were going to succeed is to be the hardest working group right. campaigning and this was pre-social media pre you know internet and so we were knocking on doors and yeah taking hands old style uh campaigning and we just were the most organized and we hit every door m multiple times and we ended up winning the election so i learned a ton from that that's cool that yeah that's really cool actually we had one of my first guests was uh gentleman henry shuck who's the ceo of a company called zoom info uh publicly traded company and uh 
he also he was student body president at UNLV and he told a similar story where he literally I mean what he did is he showed up I mean this is like internet's like becoming a this like you know like mid 2000s but he said he went to a hundred different classrooms and asked if he could like talk to them you know like ask the professor hey can I talk for five minutes about what it is and it's like wow like that is that is dedication and then and then at what point though Robert like at school where you're like hey I'm, you know, I, when I do graduate, I am going to go work for the family business. Was, that, was there ever anything else that you entertained? Was there ever any other, you know, I don't know, like opportunities or, or paths that you saw for yourself? Like maybe you're going to be a rock musician or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, well um, at, in my senior year, you know, we, I went through, they have a great career, you know, development center at Notre Dame. So they really help you, your resume and interviewing. And so I did interview, I interviewed with some ad agencies, you know, I was always attracted to the branding kind of advertising side of business. Yeah. Um, but then I also was seriously considered doing a, considering doing a year of volunteer work. And, and I pretty much at that point, I decided, OK, I'm going to go into the business. Um, I'm going to get a grad degree in business. And it was an opportunity for me to, to take a year to kind of give back a little bit. So I taught sixth grade on the west side of Chicago in an inner city school. Um, and that was an, also an incredible learning experience. And I was a teacher, but I learned way more than I taught that year. Okay, so you do that for a little bit, and you're like, okay, yeah. well, that was the plan, though. It sounds like, right, yes. to mm -hmm. maybe do a little little break. Um, and then, what were you know, what were some of the first jobs? This is '92, so then you're you know you're going into the business. Uh, then you're also getting ready to go back and get your like, master's degree. Um, like, what were some of the first few roles that you had, right? Because obviously, it's coming in as you know the grandson. Like, you had to kind of pay your dues. I feel like I, I have a an opposite of you experience. My my family owned a lot of banks in the Midwest and I did a summer internship for my uncle, I think 30 something banks in Nebraska, Kansas and Iowa. And for me after the summer, I was like, I do not want to do this. <laughs> I was like finance. I was like this finance and just the culture. I was just like, no, this is, this is like not my thing. And so, but you know, like there's like a little bit of a rotation, et cetera. So I'm always curious when someone you know comes in, I mean, I'm sure you've, you know, maybe not early on, you feel that weight to really have to prove yourself, but like what were some of the first, you know, jobs that you were doing there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in 1992 is when I, I came into the business full time. I was 23 years old. And, you know, the day I walked in in 1992, it felt a lot different than that day I walked in when I was five years old. So I described that. that magical experience. So in 1992, when I walked into my dad's office, um, you know, not much had changed since the Eisenhower administration. You know, it was the same drapes, the same furniture, the same paint. Um, and the company was kind of frozen in time. And um, and we were really struggling. And I learned early on because in that first couple of weeks I was there, my dad, you know, would bring me into these meetings and stuff, a very small company, very small team. And because I've, I'm in the family business, I get exposed to all this stuff early on. That was in, uh, incredible. Right. Um, so my dad says, hey, there's this guy, Jerry. He's here from the bank. He wants to meet with you. So Jerry sat me down and just started yelling at me saying, you guys have no cash. Do you get it? You're running out of cash. And what I learned was Jerry was- Is this like first year? Is this like yeah, first this is year? Yeah, first couple of weeks on the job. <laughs> and so, the, the, and I learned that Jerry's a workout guy from the bank because, um, you know, we were really, we were really struggling. Our sales were declining. We weren't coming out with any new products. And then we got hit with a, another punch with uh, plastic wagons came out from our competitors. And again, this is my first year on the job and plastic wagons really allowed for all these features in, in, a, in a wagon that we couldn't right. do in steel and wood, like molding in seats and cup holders and all kinds of cool features like that. So 
when I saw these plastic wagons, my reaction was, oh shit, plastic wagons. Like yeah. this is classic disruption of a category of products. And so we were thrown into complete crisis um, very, very early on. And, and I knew I was green, I knew I was clueless, but I had this kind of romanticized view of, and I think it's from studying history and watching movies of like, hey, we can do this. You know, if we commit, if we're all in, you know, we rally the troops, you know, we can figure this thing out. And, um, and so we just really started scrambling around trying to figure out how can we turn the company around and start building up sales. And what was like, what were some of the first, I guess, like, okay, these, I mean, obviously maybe it was the plastic wagon was like a very obvious one. Like, yes, we need to like do this. Um, but what were some of like the things that you remember early on or things that you're like, hey, this is going to help to take us in a new direction? Um, obviously, and I don't know when they're putting the feet on the ground, there's a, a magazine article that people should check out where, um, you know, you guys talked about like getting really into the ground. And that's kind of, I think, where the scooter maybe came out of. Um, but what were some of like the early learnings, I guess, you know, as you're trying to steer this company back? And then, you know, so now, you know, we're still, you know, we're late 90s or mid, mid, mid to late 90s here. And mm -hmm. so like, what are some like, big wins or areas of learning that you had, you know, before the 2000s hit? Yeah, I mean, I, I started just asking tons of questions. I very much had the, the approach that I was a student, you know, this business had been going great for 70 years. So that it's a lot had been working, you know, but now things had changed. And like any business, you go through ups and downs, especially one that's been around that long. So I had to figure out like, why do we exist? Are we going to just go away? Because a lot of businesses just go out of business, like when that product is done and it's replaced um, by new yeah. technology. Um, so it was clear, like we had existed to make steel and wood wagons. That was our core competency. That's what we knew how to do. That's what consumers expected from us. Um, but it wasn't clear why should we continue to exist. So I started talking to consumers and you started the, the session doing what we started to do. Ask consumers, like when you were playing with your radio flyer, describe it to me. Yeah. With what were you experiencing? You know, and, and we started to hear all these recurring themes like the sun was in my face, the wind was in my hair, I was with someone I loved, I was imagining that my wagon was a race car or a yeah. rocket, and and all these really amazing, powerful imagery and emotions. And so I started to realize, okay, we're not in the wagon business, you know, we're, we're in the memories business, we're in the, uh, uh, and, and the other thing people do when you hear radio flyers, they smile, and then they tell the story. So we said, we're about smiles and warm memories. And so by kind of going deeper into the meaning of the brand, we were able to unlock, you know, okay, here's other stuff we can do. Yes, of course, we can make plastic wagons and other products like that. But we can make anything kids can play with outside. We can make anything with wheels for kids. And that's what we started to do. And that became like the focal. It's like, okay, out of the, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of other ideas that were not wheels for kids. And that was kind of like the focal moment. Like, hey, anything that's wheels for kids, memory smiles, that's going to be our lane. Yeah, one of the really pivotal products that 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 helped us understand this was people we, people tell us about their radio flyer uh, wagon story. <clears throat> But oftentimes people would tell us about the radio flyer tricycle they had as a kid. And so we'd say, well, can you describe the tricycle? And they'd say, yeah, it was red, it was shiny, it had chrome, it had two steps on the rear, it had this big bell, it was a radio flyer. But the, the crazy thing was we had never made a tricycle. <laughs> right, so, this is, it was the same red color. So yeah, people yeah, like, exactly. oh, it's like, that's the same thing. 
It was the same. It was a design from another brand that either had gone away or they forgot the brand. But because our brand was so strong, they were attributing our brand to this classic product. And so we did something really smart. <laughs> we made that tricycle that they imagined uh, having as a kid. Uh, <laughs> there you we, go. We gave them all the design cues they remembered. We put Radio Flyer on it and it became a great seller right out of the gates. And so then we're like, okay, we can do more tricycles. And and that was a whole new category for us. That's, of course, very close to wagons because it's wheels and it's for kids. And, yeah. and then we became the number one brand in tricycles. And we started innovating there beyond that re classic retro tricycle. Um, and then we started to get into scooters. And, and we really focused on the ergonomics of how can we make a great scooter that's super stable and easy to ride for a beginner. And that's where we started. And and then we started to build out our team and add a lot of designers and engineers that could really ramp up our product development capabilities. So this took years. I mean, this, this turnaround I'm describing, you know, was 10 plus years to, to really get us to a place where the financials were stable. We could really start investing and scaling the business. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. One of the things I thought was really interesting is that up until 2004, you can tell me if this is this is 100% accurate, up until like no hiring process or HR function. Up until like two th 2004. And now, you know, you, you all are on, you know, a wide variety of best places to work lists. And, you know, I know that this is a, you know, kind of one of the things that you had done to bring in this kind of culture of excellence. So, so what was it that made you realize just how important that that would be? Again, you're going through all these business turmoil. And like you said, we're kind of at probably a 10, 10 year mark where things are starting to kind of move. Um, how, like, how did you know that this was going to be like a key piece to the next, the next chapter? It took me a while to figure it out. You know, I was, again, very young, very inexperienced. And initially, I thought that, you know, we had a lot of people who had been here for a long time and were good at doing the previous business, not, not this new business of developing lots of new products and a brand consumer product driven company. Um, and, you know, when I started in those early years, I, I would walk around the building a lot and talk to people and ask questions. And one day I was walking around and I was walking to the warehouse at the end of the day. It was after five o'clock and I went into the bathroom and I noticed there's a puddle on the floor. And I looked up at the ceiling to see if, you know, there, had, there was a leak and there was no leak. And I bent down to smell it and it was urine on the floor. And I was like, wow, why is there a puddle of urine right next to this to the toilet? So the next day I walked by earlier than five o'clock and out came Steve, a guy who'd been in the company for a long time. And there was a fresh puddle of pee on the floor. And I went to the plant manager and I said, this guy's peeing on the floor in the bathroom. And he's like, oh yeah, I know all about that. He's been doing that for a long time because he's pissed at me that I demoted him a few years ago. And I was like, how can you let this go on if you know this is happening? <laughs> he's been doing it for forever. And uh, he's like, hey, and then it was, it was a classic like Robert. You're young. I've been here a long time. Let me tell you how it works. Sometimes you gotta, you know, you have to let things like this go. And, uh, and it just hit me so hard over the head. It was such a powerful <laughs> metaphor of like the, people I think it was a metaphor. I mean, that was like, a. <laughs> like, it doesn't get more real than some guy just saying, yeah, I'm going to show them. And then his boss knows about it. I mean, that's just yeah. like, I'm going to do whatever I want. Yeah. I mean, the fact was our culture had become really infected with entitlement and disengagement. Yeah. And, and so I realized, you know, that I had to really replace everybody on the team over time. And that's what we did. And we did early retirements. I mean, we tried to do it as, humanely as we could and treated people with respect and, and kindness. Um, and then I just started hiring people. And, 
And I made a lot of hiring mistakes. And that's when I was like, okay, we need processes. <laughs> we need to learn these things. I need to hire a great HR leader. And, and that's what we did. And that took years to do. And we became really committed to building. I wanted to build the kind of place that I would want to work, but you know, like I would be so anxious to work there if it weren't our family business. That's the kind of company I wanted to build and the team. And so we just got really, really disciplined about hiring super passionate people, really creative, smart people. And then they helped us bring more people like that. And it became kind of a flywheel of getting great talent. And we spent a lot of time on the designing the culture, you know, all of the mechanisms and, and tools to make sure that we're ensuring that we keep a, a great team and great culture. What are some what are some of those things? If we can get a little tactical, Robert, just yeah. like what are some of the things that you think of that are, you know, really critical? You know, we've implemented, you know, like your standard things, right? And I also know a lot of leaders that are like, look, performance reviews are, you know, not indicative. And, you know, there's a lot of 360. I mean, I would just say there's a million different ways I've, I've heard it and seen it and, and, and be successful too. But for you, when you were implementing these, were there tools that you used? Were there processes or strategies that you felt like really moved the needle? Yeah. Yeah, there's a few. We use the WHO uh, method for hiring. Yep. That's a book uh, by Jeff yep. Smart. So we use that. Great we book. We train everybody in that. We bring in somebody from that organization to train our team in doing that. And and so we have a really rigorous selection process that we we don't deviate from, and we don't accept mediocrity when we're hiring somebody. Um, the other thing we did is we developed an internship program. We have a uh, a pretty large internship program. We've got about 100 employees in Chicago. So it's a small company. And we have this summer, we're gonna have about 25 interns. So we have- Wow. Um, and and a one, uh, one out of every four people who work at the company today were interns. So it's become a really important feeder for, and it's a great way to try people out and have them try us out. Um, another thing we do is we have a really defined goals process that, is very collaborative. People design their own goals. Each individual says, you know, here are my goals for the year. They share them with their team publicly. They get feedback from their team. And then halfway through the year and at the end of the year, everybody in the company stands up in front of their team and says, you know, here's how I'm doing on my goals. Here's what didn't go well. Here's what did go well. Here's what I learned. Here's what I'm doing next. And then it's a very feedback rich environment. Um, it's very uh, transparent. Everybody knows what everybody else is working on. And one of the things I always say to people when they're joining the company is that there's no place to hide here. You know, we're not a huge company. Right. If you like that and you want to have your work seen and known, you're going to thrive. If you're a person who doesn't want to, who wants to kind of hide and doesn't want feedback, it's not going to work here for you. And I think the last thing I would say on, on the culture and building the team, and this is, I think, something that is not talked about enough is what we don't tolerate you know we have zero right. tolerance for bad behavior like of course things like harassment and and things like that but even things like sarcasm or microaggressions like we're really really strict about trying to create a, a, a safe environment where people can take risks they can throw out ideas because ultimately we are a design company we're a very creative company and we're trying a lot of stuff all the time and most of it doesn't work so it's so important for us to create this a safe environment where we we all talk about our misses and what where we screwed up to normalize that. But uh, we have zero tolerance for any kind of bad behavior. Right. And what are I guess and like you know how how do you handle those tough situations where it could be a top performer? You know, this is more yeah, of like let them go. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, we've all had the classic cases of you know, like a salesperson who's delivering the sales, but they're a jerk. Um, yeah. We just don't, 
we, yeah, I'm in the, I mean, it's, this is one of the nice things about being a privately held company too. It's like, for us, it's all about the long term. Yeah. And, um, and if we're going to miss some sales or do something like that, like, I just know after doing this for 30 years, it's not, it's going to be a lot worse if you don't. It get always it. is. It always is. So we're pretty clear on that. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's go into like now we'll talk like 2010s. So by 2015, like the business is back up to a hundred million in sales. And I don't know, I mean, like how much you can kind of get into it, but like, you know, how big of a turnaround was that between like, you know, 2005, 2015? Yeah. Well, when I started the, the sales were under 20 million and we were, yeah. we were losing money and we had a lot of debt. So it was a, it was a massive turnaround. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's got to be, you know, exciting for you to, to lead that. And, and what's the, you know, again, like we talked a little bit about the people component of this. Um, how about before we go to kind of like what's new and what's next uh, or most exciting, uh, let's talk about like, what about, what are the big flops that you had during that time? Are there any products that you look back at and you're like, yeah, like that was not a, like that was not a good one. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I've made every possible mistake you can make products, people, <laughs> everything. So, um, uh, so I think like in terms of products, you know, we, the majority of our products don't work even, you know, we, we, we uh, kill a lot of ideas before they even get out the door, but sure. ones that get out the door. So one of my most famous examples, and I, we have a, a leader, a learning and development program here called Wagon U, of course. And one of the first classes everybody goes to when they start here is breakfast with the CWO with me. And, and that's basically the class is me talking about my goof ups. And the one that gets the most laughs is a, a product that um, I came out with in the nineties. So this was early on, you know, within my first four years of the company, we were, we had this little wagon, actually it's, it's right here behind me. It's um, this little wagon that we created for a, a promotion that, and the promotion fell through. And so we ended up coming out with it and we started selling it, it like crazy. It was my first hot product. We sold a million of these wagons in one year. And we saw that people were putting dolls in it and stuffed animals. Um, and so we had the idea to do our own doll in this wagon. And we had never done a doll before, but we were really trying to figure out how can we diversify the business? Toys R Us was our biggest customer at the time. So we're like, oh, we could sell it to the doll buyer instead of our buyer and get more business. And we came up with this whole backstory for the doll. We got completely enamored by this story. And the name of the product was Angel Love Wagon Babies. And the idea was that an angel made this baby, put it in a wagon and sent it to earth just for you. We're kind of borrowing from Cabbage Patch, you know, and right. we did this fancy commercial and everything. And it was a total dud. I mean, it uh, fell at all. And, um, and it was an incredible learning opportunity because we focus group tested the concept. Like I was like, Hey, we've never done dolls. I, I was getting an MBA at Kellogg. Sure. Like, Let's do a focus group, you know? And, um, and the focus group, uh, we focus group tested it with moms. They all loved it. They said, Oh, we'll buy tons of them, you know, and all, all this kind of stuff. So we made every mistake. Like we were engaging in confirmation bias during all the market research, yeah. we were looking for all the stuff that proved why we were going to be right and ignoring the negative stuff. And, um, and it was just a huge, huge learning opportunity. So I showed the commercial to the class and I tell the story and everybody laughs. And 
I love it. We'll try to. I'll try to see it. We'll find it on YouTube and we'll link to it in the, <laughs> yeah. in, the in the in the in the show notes, which I always think is fun for people to do that. Like we've had a lot of different people with different businesses they've started who you know splurge on a commercial or something. I feel like that 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 could have been successful like in the seventies. It sounds like a great like somebody who was named off of like a hippie commune or something. Like yeah, we were we, angel you know, love. Some people, are, some people are ahead of their time. We were behind the times. <laughs> Uh, so, so as you think about, okay, well, you know, again, you've kind of taken the company through this innovation. You've, again, you've had your wins, you've had, you know, some pretty big wins. Um, obviously a lot of wins in the scooter market, um, obviously other things that you've done. What's exciting, like what's new for you? So as we start to wrap up here in the next five, five, six minutes or so, you know, what are some of the things that you're excited about for this next chapter? You know, obviously there's so many different things that you can do and you've learned what not to do. Um, I know we were talking a little bit about electric bikes as well too. So, you know, what are the things that I think, you know, as you think about that ethos of, you know, creating smiles, uh, for, you know, for, for kids, uh, something that has wheels, like what's, what's the next exciting chapter? Yeah, I mean, the thing I'm the most excited about is the fact that we have this amazingly creative team that can really do anything. Like we, we have we our skills and being able to design and te the technical complexity of our products has increased so much. It's just really exciting to see that we can really do anything, and that wasn't true, you know, even ten years ago. And so. So that's led us to really consider some different uh, categories like electric bikes and. And these are electric bikes for adults and families. And, and when we were looking at this category, you know, we've looked at bikes for years because, of course, we love bicycles. It's such a great product. Um, there's so many benefits to it. You know, it's good for the environment. It's good for people's health. And it reduces congestion in cities. And, but we couldn't really figure out what we could do that was different or better than all the other bike companies. And that's always a question we ask ourselves when we're getting into a new category is how can we do something different and better than everybody else there? And so a few things came together, you know, years ago, I rode a cargo bike for the first time and, and it was not electric. And I was thinking about actually getting one with our kids. And, but I rode this thing and it was just, it was such a beast. It was so heavy and right. hard to pedal. And I was like, man, I'll be drenched in sweat by the time I get to work. But I always thought that's kind of a cool thing to transport kids. And then I rode an electric bike a few years ago. And when I first heard of an electric bike, I was like, my first thought was, isn't that cheating? Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right, a bicycle right. is already the most efficient human powered machine there is. Like, do we really need an electric bike? But then when I rode it, I got it. I understood why it was so cool because, you know, when you're going up that really steep hill or when you're going into a headwind and you get that boost from the motor, it's really magical. And it feels like your, your legs are bionic, but you can still ride it like a regular bike. You don't right. have to have the motor. Um, and so, and then as we built up our radioflyer.com direct sales to cost to consumers over the past few years, all those pieces came together. And a few years ago, we started talking about, you know, could we make really awesome bikes that help parents and families replace car trips with bike trips. And, and that's what we were really focused on. So our bikes have all these really unique features like our cargo bike has this kid and, kid and cargo carrier accessory on the back that um, the sides zip down and two kids can ride in it or the sides zip up and you can put a ton of cargo. Like you can do your whole grocery shopping for a week and put it in the back of this cargo bike. And so that's what we're really focused on. We launched it last fall. We've gotten tons of acclaim on the products 
And it's really an exciting new business for us that we think has huge potential. And the other thing about it is most people still have not ridden an electric bike. If you just ask people, right. I was recently at the New York Auto Show because they had a micro mobility section and we were uh, had a booth there and 95% of the people that came there had never ridden an electric bike. And once they ride it, they're like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. So we're really excited about it. That's awesome. And how do you, you know, as a part of <clears throat> like this chapter again, or as you're, you're kind of thinking about it, um, you know, is there anything kind of next, next? Like, I'm, I'm just kind of curious, because obviously the bike, like you said, the, the electric bike market is still relatively, I mean, I've, I live here in Austin. And so we yeah. kind of see them here and, you know, living in New York, you see like versions of them. Um, but, you know, is there anything that's like next, next level? Like, I'm just always curious about like new tech or anything that, you know, again, you're, you're interested in or that you guys are thinking through. I think the bikes is really the big thing because we have a lot of additional bikes in development. We have two models right now and we have a whole line that that's coming in the next year plus. Um, so that's one of the things we're really focused on. You know, our partnership with Tesla is another thing. That yeah, we're focused on. yeah I, was, I meant to ask about that. If you guys don't know, yeah. we'll link. You can get your kid a mini Tesla. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and last fall we launched the CyberQuad, which um, if some if Tesla fans will remember that when the Cybertruck was yes. uh, unveiled, they also had an ATV that they called the CyberQuad that Tesla hasn't produced yet, but we made a kids version of it. Oh, okay, that's cool. It right before Christmas last year and sold out in 24 hours, so it's on back order <laughs> right now. But we have some really cool stuff in the works with Tesla, and we have an amazing uh, partnership with Tesla. We love working with them. They inspire us. And so we've got some cool things in the pipeline with Tesla. That's really cool. How'd that partnership come about? Uh, almost eight years ago, when we were looking, we had, we had never made uh, an electric car for kids. And when we were looking to get in that category, we asked ourselves the question, what can we do better and different? And there was no kids electric car that had lithium ion batteries. Um, and so they all have traditional lead acid batteries, which, right. is, which is fine, but they take forever to charge and they don't hold the charge. So the main complaint we heard from parents when we did our research was our kids love our Barbie Jeep, but whenever we go to ride it, the battery's dead and it takes forever to charge it. So our, our design team said, we can solve that with lithium ion batteries. Um, and then our, our head of product development said, if we're going to do lithium ion, we should do Tesla. Well, this was eight years ago. Tesla was nowhere near what it is today. Right. And so we created this totally unified concept where we studied Tesla really closely. And, and, you know, you can't buy a Tesla at a car dealer. You have to buy it online or from a Tesla store. It's lithium ion batteries. So we created this entire miniaturized kid version of a Tesla experience from the purchase to delivery concluding everything and they were just blown away by it and of course they love radio flyer too and, and our heritage and that's how it got started that's pretty cool yeah and if you all have it i mean we'll definitely you got to check out the cyber quad i mean it's pretty awesome like, it's a pretty <laughs> it, that is a pretty a pretty cool ride it's really uh, fun. Yeah, I bet it is. It looks like a lot of fun. Um, well, look, I, mean, I think that this has been great. I mean, I think just the, the stories, Robert, here and just, you know, how you all have continued to persevere and innovate and try new things. And obviously, again, kind of put the company in the place that it is now. I think the electric bikes are, again, we'll link to that too. If people want to check out flyer bikes, um, they're really cool. The design is really cool. So I think it's, you know, going to be a, a home run for sure. Well, thank you so much, Jake. It's been so much fun talking with you. 
Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. I think the audience definitely will as well. Lots of links to show here as well, too. De definitely the Angel Love Baby video <laughs> you'll be able to view in the show notes. That's always a, a good one. So, so look, Robert. We have our bloopers in addition to our greatest hits, right? Always, exactly. Well, again, like that's, and that's, you know, that's a big reason I started the podcast is everyone sees the win, right? Everyone sees yes. where we're at now, not all the, the BS we had to go through to get here. So exactly. I think this is a great story for a lot of folks. So thank you again, Robert, for joining joining oh, yeah. us. Really appreciate it. Really enjoy the conversation. Thank you everyone for tuning in as well. And we'll see you next week on the Jake Dunlap show. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to another extremely fun and interesting episode. I thought it was fun and interesting, so I hope you did too, of the Jake Dunlap show. Uh, really great just breaking down everything that makes people who they are, the success, the trials and errors. And I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite platform and make sure more than anything to go over to jakedunlap.com. That's where you're going to stay up to date on all the latest guests, additional details, prep notes. We're going to be sharing everything on jakedunlap.com. So go ahead, go over there. You can subscribe there as well too. And we will see you next week on the Jake Dunlap Show.